Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, I've been introduced already by Emily. My name is Brian, and I have the privilege of being a teaching pastor here downtown. And so if you haven't met me before, welcome, and uh, it's a joy to be together. We're in week two of what is a 12 or 13-week preaching series looking at the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to this church that he planted in Ephesus. And so what you have is Pastor Paul, he's a church planter, and it would have been much like our community. He goes into a city, pretty secular city, a port city, a city that's highly influential, that has a large multicultural demographic, a lot of young people, because they would have had universities and places to study, a major port city, so there would be a lot of people coming and going, as a very similar context to us. And Paul goes in with his band of very men, and they plant a church, they get a community up and running. And they gather on Sundays and they meet during the week for open tables and they, they play pickleball when they, in their free time and they, they really do laugh on life stuff together. They eat the, um, the, uh, the, the Jewish version of a, of a taco and, and they're just like, they're, they're, doing, they're doing life together, really. Sometimes we look at the Bible and we think of it as this otherworldly fairy tale, but it's very, very similar to how we would have done our life. And so Paul goes in, plants a church, he lives with this community, passes them, loves them, nurtures them, does, performs a few weddings, they eat many meals together, they, uh, they're socialized together, uh, babies are born, he visits moms as they, you know, just on the other end of the birth story and prays for them and prays for the kids, real pastor and, and, and congregation kind of relationship. And Pastor Paul ends up going and, and planting other churches, but while out of the city, he's got this deep love and affection for these people in Ephesus. And he writes them a letter. And the letter that he writes is given to us here in Ephesians. And, and this, so, so the point of sharing that is that this is not an instruction manual sent from somebody from a distant land. This is a letter from a pastor to his people that he dearly loves, encouraging them and stirring them in the faith, offering some correction and guidance, encouraging them to love and worship Jesus. We're in this beautiful book, and uh, the last week we had a little bit of a challenge. If you did it, or if you, met, if you like, kind of missed a day or two, or if you didn't do it, we read Ephesians, the entire, cha- uh, the entire book of Ephesians over the last six days, starting last week, Monday, ending yesterday on Saturday. It's, it's a six-chapter book, and we said, let's read one chapter a day for the next week, so that when we come to gather next Sunday, today, that all of us would have read the book of Ephesians together. And if you haven't done it, I just encourage you to go and read this book, because I can promise you this. If you read the book of Ephesians in its entirety, and by the way, if you read it out loud, it'll take you about 25 minutes to read the entire book. So we're not, we're not, it's not like a huge daunting thing. If you read the book of Ephesians, I guarantee you one thing, your heart will be at very least minimal uh, stirred to love Jesus more. So, so, so if you want to love Jesus more, spend 25 minutes this afternoon or tomorrow morning, read the book of Ephesians, I promise you it'll catapult you in that direction. If you open up, you say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Read the book of Ephesians. I'm telling you, you're, you're at very least, your eyes will be turned towards Jesus. So I encourage you to do that. So Paul writes his letter to the church in Ephesus. It's modern-day Turkey. And, uh, and, he, and he portrays his pastoral heart to them. 
Klein Snodgrass's theologian, he said, pound for pound, Ephesians may well be the most influential document in history. The most influential document in history. Many people and theologians and professors and, and uh, philosophers and thinkers, their entire way of thinking and their lives and their practice has been shaped by these six chapters. The main idea is that Pastor Paul writes a pastoral letter to the church that he planted in Ephesus, and he writes this letter focusing on two main themes. The book can be divided into two, the first three chapters and the second three chapters, simply down the middle. The first three chapters tell us who we are in Christ, tells us our position, our identity. The next three chapters then tell us how we should live in light of our new identity. So it's this beautiful book. It tells you who you are. And once it tells you who you are, it tells you, okay, now that you know who you are, this is how you should live. And I think the order is so important. You see, the world tells us, live this way. And as you live a certain way, that will define who you are. But Jesus turns the whole thing around and he tells us this is who you are, not based on how you live, based on me and what I have done. This is your identity. This is your position. Now in light of this new identity and position, live this way. And so today we're going to kind of dive into Ephesians chapter one and we're going to start with our position in Christ. So one of, the, one of the things that everyone in this room would have had an experience in doing is meeting someone new, right? And we kind of go through this, um, this dance of questions, this almost rehearsed kind of dance of, hi, my name's Brian, what's your name? How are you doing? Like, uh, you know, uh, what do you do for a living? Or what do you study? Or where are you from? What part of the country or the world are you from? And we go through this little dance of kind of getting to know each other kind of baseline, surface-level information of getting to understand who the other person is. And, and, we, and we want to get an idea of who they are, and we kind of define these things by what they do, where they're from, you know, gender, race, and so on. In our modern day, we are defined by all these different things that make up our lives, all these diff- different little aspects, and there's a bunch of them. It can be education, like kind of immediately, if someone says they go to Harvard, you just think like, that guy's really clever. Or there's kind of these just preconceived ideas. Ask a few questions, get a few baseline information. Oh, you, you've grown up in San Diego. You must be pretty chilled. Oh, you come from Boston. I don't want to get on your bad side. You know, like that kind of, we just immediately, you're from South Africa. You're crazy. You know, like that kind of thing. Where are you born? What about your family? Oh, you're a middle child. Cool. Uh, you know, like that kind of thing. Who are your friends? What's your circle, your circle of influence or your so- social setting? Your relationship status, hey? You're married, single, divorced, wh- whatever it might be. You're dating someone, your hobbies, surfing, soccer, going to the gym. I know you can see that I've been working out lately. And there's all these kind of subcultures around like the things that we do, right? Uh, where do you live? Uh, what, what, what's your income bracket? We immediately associate kind of personalities and, and things to these different things that so-called define us. You know, your, your amount of possessions you have or the lack of possessions you have. Now, we're all made up of these different things, right? So I'm a man, I'm a husband, I'm a dad, I'm a son, I'm a brother, I'm a pastor, I'm a preacher, I'm a friend, uh, I love sports, I support Manchester United and the Lakers, uh, come on, um, I love all different sports, I'm down for that. I used to be a geography teacher before I came into ministry, so immediately, if there's anything to do with like the world, then people think I know the answer to that, but like, you know, just, I talked about the rain. Um, I used to play a lot of soccer, and now I've had a knee surgery, so like kind of 
uh, you know, the body doesn't work like it used to. But, but who am I? Who am I? What's my core identity? What is the truest thing about me underneath all of this just stuff, this fluff? What, who am I? Who am I? This is, a, this is a hugely important question. Who are you? Think about this with me for a second. How would you answer this simple question? How would you fill in the blank? I am blank. If you had to describe yourself, who are you? I'm a doctor, I'm a nurse, I'm an accountant, I'm a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, or I'm a, I'm a mom or I'm a dad or I'm a husband. Who are you? Musician, artist, what would you put there? For many of us, whether we thought about this or not, our, our answers just kind of come down to my job or my greatest achievement or my greatest failure. You know, what I have, my possessions, my clothes, kind of my, my artistic sense. Uh, I am a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or my lack thereof. My, I'm, I am my race or I am my gender or I am my sexuality or I am my income or my inabilities or my sin. I am these things. Or I am what other people say about me. I am what my dad said about me. The harsh words spoken over me by a grandparent or a teacher or a friend or a sibling. I am these things. So how, how do you see yourself? I am a success or I'm a failure. I'm loved or I am rejected. Whether we think about it or not or made a conscious choice to live a certain way, we actually do live according to the narrative of who we say we are. I'm valuable or I'm worthless. I'm somebody or I'm nobody. Who are you? I ask you today, what defines you? What is the thing or who defines you? When the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesian church in modern day Turkey, what he is writing to do, he's writing to tell them first three chapters who they are in Christ. So let's see what Jesus tells us through the Apostle Paul about our identity as disciples of Jesus or believers or, or Christians, who are we and who are we really in him? Okay, so Ephesians chapter one, you can open with me. We're gonna start in verse one, we're gonna go all the way to 14. It'll be on the screen as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by our God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at San Diego. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Can I say spiritual blessing? Okay, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Say, say in Christ. In Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. Paul is telling me and you who we are, friends. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him, we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who, are already, who have already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him, you 
also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. What a beautiful passage. This tells us exactly who we are over and over again in Christ. What's fascinating to me is in the original Greek, this is one long sentence of 202 words. Jesus is mentioned by title or by name no fewer than 15 times in one sentence. And the idea of me and you being in Christ is mentioned no less than 11 times. I think Paul is trying to get our attention here. He's saying, hey, you are in Christ and Jesus is really important. That's what he's saying. Can you imagine one sentence? He's hardly taking a breath. He's so excited here. He's just like, this is who you are, and Jesus is really big and important. This passage, friends, is obsessed with Jesus. So when Paul speaks to you and me, when Jesus himself gives you and me our identity, his priority is to speak about the glory of Christ. When he's telling us who we are, he speaks mostly about Jesus. And he speaks about what Jesus has done for us and then who we are in Jesus based on what he's done. And so this passage, what it's doing is it's redefining for us and and, and giving us a new core identity. You see, these Ephesian people, they would have been living according to a set of social norms. They would have been living according to who the world says they are. And Paul sends him a letter to tell them, you are not who the world says you are. You are who Jesus says you are. And he gives them their new core identity, which is all based in Christ. So let's give some attention this morning. We're just going to go through this passage, kind of break it down, and look at who Jesus says we are. And as we do so, I want you to question, am I living as if this is my my identity? Or do I need to reshape or redefine who I am? This is big. Do I need to redefine who I am? Not based on what I've said, what other people say, what I do, but based on what Jesus has done. Okay, firstly, Paul tells us, Jesus tells us through Paul that we are, number one, blessed. We're blessed. Maybe you've seen those Instagram posts where um, someone is lying by a pool. Uh, Maybe it's Alexandra on her rooftop uh, here down the street, and she's lying by the pool. She's got a, like a cocktail in hand, and uh, there's just this like hashtag blessed, you know? And you, you're at work, and you're doing something monotonous, or you're studying for an exam, and your life just feels like terrible in comparison. Hashtag blessed. Caitlin and the boys, I've got two boys, Judah and Caleb, four and six, uh, four and seven. Uh, don't tell him I said six, four and seven. And um, they've got this song, it's called I'm So Blessed. And he goes, I'm so, no, I can't sing. I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed, something, 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 Jesus. And it's like, I'm so, but the, but the idea is I'm so blessed, right? And so they sing the song, they like dance around the house to it, I'm so blessed, I'm so, and they're going for it. Shame, since we've moved here, Caleb has gotten sick so many times. He's got really bad asthma. And I think it's like the dust in the air, new germs, uh, temperature, like what is up with San Diego? We, told, we were told it doesn't rain, it's like sunny all the time, honestly folks. But um, I think it's a change. He just keeps coughing. He keeps having these like kind of coughing fits and keeps having to miss school and go back to the doctor. So it's a shame. It's been a little bit of a harder transition for him. And uh, he's been sick a few times. And the other day, he had to go to the the doctor to go get some new um, stuff for his his asthma pump. 
And uh, he's, he's so irritated about this. He's like sad. He wants to just crack on with life, but he keeps having to stay at home. And he's sitting in the backseat of the car, and there's no like music on or anything. And he just starts singing to himself, shame. He starts singing, I'm not blessed, I'm not blessed. <laughs> and he just, he's not singing the song to himself. <laughs> I mean, honestly, how heartbreaking. I'm not blessed. Anyway, the good news is like yesterday, he was running, uh, two days ago, he was running in the house. Like, I'm so blessed, I'm so blessed. So he, he's, he's back in the game. But, but guys, this is what we are. We're, we're blessed, and we're blessed in Christ. But as we are blessed in Christ, it does not mean that we're just gonna have like good physical health. Uh, it does not mean that we're just gonna have a stress-free life and drink cocktails on rooftop bars and pools. It doesn't mean that we're never gonna get sick or we're never gonna struggle or we're never gonna have to trust him during difficult times. Uh, it does not mean that all of our dreams are gonna come true and you're gonna get the perfect job upon graduation or whatever it might be. I wanna tell you this, that some Christians, a lot of Christians, have been lied to and they've been lied to believe that if something goes wrong in our lives, then it means that you're not, you know, uh, that you're doing something wrong or you've sinned. And that's not the case. That is a lie from the pits of hell. It's just not the truth. We live in a fallen, broken world. And yes, we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And yes, Christ and the Father want to bless us in this world and in this life. And we can, we're instructed to pray and ask God for the things and the desires of our hearts, absolutely. But it does not mean, being blessed in Christ, that everything is gonna be smooth sailing. What it does mean is that in the storms of life that Christ is there, and our security and our identity and our spiritual well-being is secured in Christ. And so things will go wrong. Luck happens to everybody and the rest of the world. But it and so it does not mean that things won't go wrong. It just means that when things do go wrong, we have a sure foundation and a partner in Christ. Don't believe the lie and think, well, my life's not good and so I must be the problem. No, the problem is a broken, fallen world. But we are secure in Christ. Okay, so we're blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And this blessing is that we are reconciled to God. Like we can live in intimacy and relationship with our Father in heaven. We can know Him and we can have a relationship with Him. The most beautiful blessing in the world. And that in suffering and struggle, we're never alone. He is with us. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the good times and in the bad. Even though we are so often distracted by other things, the promise of the gospel is that the things that really matter in life, they don't need to be chased after. They don't need to be grabbed at. They don't need to be earned. They do not need to be won. They are already ours in Christ. So if you are a disciple, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, every spiritual blessing is yours. You don't have to earn it or achieve it. We are blessed. You are blessed. Next, we are told that we are holy and we are blameless. Now, some of us are sitting here, most of us are sitting here with a nice Christian smile on our faces. And if we're honest, we know full well that what we did last night or what we did on the way to church or we did last week or last month would not be defined as holy and blameless. How I raised my voice to my kids yesterday as they were irritating me because they were like, it was their fault, not mine. But as I raised my voice to them, could not be defined as holy and blameless. The reality is that no one in the room is holy and blameless or without sin. 
And so maybe holy and blameless aren't words that we would use to describe ourselves or describe like a very recent history like the drive on the way to church this morning or trying to find a parking. Maybe holy and blameless does not describe your sexual past or your current state of your sexuality. Maybe holy and blameless does not describe your relationship history or how you may have conducted or are conducting your business practices right now. Maybe holy and blessed does not describe our present situation, whatever that might look like, big or small. But I want to tell you, in Christ, these words do describe our future condition. One day Jesus is going to return. We spoke about this at Easter. He's going to make all things new. He's going to restore everything back to his original intent. And he's going to make us completely holy and blameless. And we really look forward to that day where I myself and you yourself are holy and blameless in Christ as he restores everything. But in the meantime, maybe these words don't describe us or our behavior or condition. It does describe Jesus. And since we are, get this, in Christ, we are in Jesus, these words do actually describe our position before the Father. So these words, holy and blameless, may not describe our actions, but they do describe our position before the Father. So you and me, as we stand, covered by the blood of Jesus, meaning when the Father sees me, he, or when he sees you, he actually sees the righteousness of Christ, meaning when he sees us, our position is not condemnation or shame or guilt. Our position is holy and blessed. Ephesians 10, 14 says, for by one sacrifice, meaning the cross of Christ, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we're in the process. We call this in, in fancy Christian language, sanctification, like we're becoming more like Jesus, right? And so we live in this tension where we live in Christ as ones who are covered by the blood of Jesus, but we are also in him, we are sinners and saints at the same time. So in him, we have been made perfect forever by his one sacrifice on the cross. And get this, that one sacrifice on the cross is enough. We don't need to add to it or do anything to it. We just receive the sacrifice of Jesus. And so perfect forever is how God sees you and it's how he sees me and, he, and how he treats us in Jesus. But we're also in this process of sanctification as we become more like Christ and we are being made holy. So for Christians, holy and blameless is not yet our condition, but holy and blameless is our identity in Christ, and it's also our destination in Jesus, right? Great. Next, we're chosen. Say chosen. This is really important. We are chosen. For any of us, being chosen is so affirming. Like, is there anything better in this world than just being chosen? Just being cho chosen for a sports team, you know, everyone wants to be picked. You want to be picked first. You want to be chosen. You want to be chosen romantically. You want like by a girl or a boy that likes you. You want, we all have this in us. We want to be chosen. It's just such an exciting feeling, you know. I still remember asking Caitlin to be my girlfriend and I have no idea why she agreed to this or why she agreed to marry me. But like just, the, it was just so great to be, to be chosen, like for her to say, yes, she chose me. And, and it, it just assured me and it's such an amazing feeling. What about being chosen by God of the universe? Like he could choose anyone, and he chooses everyone. See, if you're here today, and you may have these feelings of rejection, maybe rejection is a really painful part of your history or your story, and for that, I'm deeply sorry. You're being rejected by your parents, or a parents, the feelings of being rejected by a romantic partner, 
Maybe these rejections have left wounds and pains in your heart. Maybe it's still sore even to this day. Maybe being rejected or overlooked at work for a position or a promotion. Maybe by friends currently or in your past that has shaped how you view yourself. It's incredibly comforting to know that God of the universe chooses you and accepts you in Jesus. You're chosen and accepted. You've been chosen by God. Let this shape our identity or remind us of who we are. We are chosen. I wanna, I wanna tell you this. That, that means that we have been seen by the king. So get this, he sees you and he knows you. He knows the inner workings of your heart and your mind. And the fact that he chooses you as he's seen you is the most beautiful thing in the whole world. You see, it's one thing to be chosen when you're hiding portions of yourself, when you're hiding your sin, when you're putting your best foot forward. That's great to be chosen. But when someone chooses you, chooses you, when they know all of the nasty stuff, when they know the inner workings, when they know the secret sin, when they know the desires and the thought process, when they know everything, well, that's a whole new ball game. God sees you and he knows you and he chooses you. And that means that you, in midst of all of the stuff, he chooses you. That means that you surely have great value and great worth. Because if someone is willing to choose us, even though we have all the stuff, it must mean that we are significant, that we are worth something, and that we have great value. And God chooses us. It tells us, the scriptures tell us that he chooses us before the foundations of the world. Before we have done anything deserving of being chosen, he chooses us. Which means that when we fail, we don't have to live in fear of being rejected in Christ. You don't, we won't be rejected. He chose us even in our failures. And secondly, he chooses us before the foundation of the world, knowing all of our flaws and knowing all of our sins and even knowing the sins that we still yet to commit. And he chooses us. And so we're not gonna surprise God with some radical sin. So like we have to hide a portion of ourselves. I don't want to burst our bubble this morning, but God knows. Like any sin that you, like you're, like he knows. He, he sees it, he knows you, but he chooses you. Amen. We're adopted. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. Friends, to be adopted means that we have all the rights and privileges of the father and his children. We are in Christ. When you get adopted, you get invited into the family from outside the family and you get renamed as a member of that family and all the rights and privileges of that family become yours and the citizenship of that family become yours. If you've adopted a kid that's from another nation or if you know someone who's adopted a kid or you are a kid adopted from another nation, you will know that as you get adopted into an American family, you become an American citizen. As we get adopted by the father of the kingdom of God, we become citizens of the kingdom. All the rights and privileges of the family of God now belong to us as ones who were adopted. And so we're in Christ. And that means that the things that God speaks over Jesus are now true of us too. So what does God speak over Jesus? Well, at Jesus' baptism, before he's done anything, he hasn't preached a sermon, he hasn't performed a miracle, he's actually done nothing other than probably he was a carpenter, he made a few tables and chairs, and, the, and he's done nothing. And God says, you are my son, he gives him his identity, who I love, he gives him his affirmation, 
with whom I'm well pleased. Uh, so he gives him identity, affection, and affirmation. You are my son, who I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And so whatever the Father says to Jesus is true of us in him. So God loves you, he likes you, he is pleased with you, and he calls you as sons and daughters in Christ. This is the truest thing about us, friends. This is our identity. This is core to who we are, sons and daughters of a king. And that is something that we need to preach to ourselves over and over again and remind ourselves every single morning when we wake up. Because the world gives us another narrative. And we live in the world, right? But we're called to be not of the world, But in the world, we are of the kingdom. And so we need to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ as we live out our days in this world. Notice here that for Jesus, his identity did not come from what he did. He had done nothing. And it did not come from what the people around him were saying. You see, if Jesus lived his life according to the, and lived out his identity according to what people around him were saying, well, let's just fast forward the story. They hung him on a cross. They did not say very nice things about him, but Jesus lived as one who was defined and get his, got his identity from his Father in heaven. And so his identity came down from the Father, not from anyone or anything around him. So I ask you, where are the places that you're looking for your approval, your acceptance, your identity, and your affections? Are you looking at them from friends or your job or your successes or your abilities? Or are you looking to your Father in heaven? We are redeemed and forgiven. Redeemed. Redemption means sla- freedom from slavery upon the payment of a ransom fee. The gospel teaches us that Jesus has brought us back from our slavery to sin. In the past, we were stuck in our sins and we were enslaved to them and we were unable to be freed. And now in Christ, in Jesus, the power of sin has been broken and we can live as ones who have been set free. See, in Jesus, we are both forgiven and set free from sin so that we can do what? Live in our new identity in him. Paul describes the transforming power of the gospel in this letter. Where he, let's look at it. If you go through Ephesians, as you read Ephesians this week again or do it for the first time, he tells us, we have been chosen and adopted by the Father. We have been redeemed by the Son. We've been sealed with the Spirit. We've been given resurrection power. We've been given eyes to see the Lordship of Christ. We have been brought from death to life by grace through faith in Christ. We've been raised and seated with Him in the heavens so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ. And then He tells us that we've been created for good works. What we see in this passage by Paul, is that Christianity is not about becoming religious and getting a list of do's and don'ts. Christianity is not about conforming to rules and, and lists. It's not about adopting a new philosophy. Being a Christian is not about financial prosperity. It's not about being a nice person. Being a Christian is about becoming a new person. It's about going from death to life. It's about going from darkness to light. And so we get given this new identity. Lastly, we have a seal, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. A seal was a mark of ownership. Basically, it was like branded, like if you're a farmer, there's probably no farmers here, but if you're a farmer or have a history in farming, uh, you would brand your cattle, right? Give them a stamp that like your, your little farm logo would be on their, on their bottoms, and they would say that, that, that that's my cow, that's my cattle, belongs to Well, we've been chosen by God, we've been adopted into his family, and we've been sealed with God's seal of the Holy Spirit, meaning we belong to him. It's as if the royal crest of the kingdom has been stamped onto our hearts, and it's there for all of time. It's been burned into our hearts, showing our new identity. 
I'll ask you, do you believe this? Do you believe that this is true of you, that you've been chosen and sealed into the kingdom of God? Do you believe, friends, that you're blessed, chosen, adopted, holy and blameless, redeemed and forgiven and sealed by the Holy Spirit? And I think we need to be reminded of this again and again and again because we can have gospel amnesia. Like we, we believe it and then we live it for a few days and we forget and then we live according to how, what my dad said or what my mom said or what the teacher said, what the world says. We forget. We forget the good news. I don't know if you know this movie, 50 First Dates. Anyone know that movie, 50 First Dates? It's an old movie. Most of our young guns here may know. It's a, it's a classic rom-com kind of movie if you're into that sort of thing. Adam Sandler plays Henry Roth, who's a veterinarian at the Sea Life Park in Hawaii. And one day he goes into a cafe, meets a young, beautiful woman named Lucy. And she's played by Drew Barrymore. And Henry is attracted to her. And to cut a long story short, he makes plans to, they make plans to meet up for breakfast the next day. But when Henry goes back to the cafe the following day, Lucy has no idea who he is or recollection of meeting him, and it leads to this funny scene where Henry gets beaten up and he's like really confused. The restaurant owner, her name is Sue, goes over to Henry and explains to Henry that uh, Lucy is in a car accident and uh, she had got this, uh, it's called integrated amnesia, where she wakes up every morning think it's, thinking it's like the same day, which is Sunday the 13th of October, and uh, so she doesn't remember the previous day of meeting him. And in a classic kind of rom-com way, Sadler's character decides that he's going to spend, uh, you know, every day making her fall in love with him over and over again. I uh, know, so beautiful. And he makes this video, this videotape of kind of their relationship history and her personal history and, she ma- it, like, and, and kind of everything that she misses or missed and who she is and their relationship and so on so that she doesn't forget. And she gets reminded every day that she's like in love with him. And then she, it's this classic scene where she cries every day and they like fall in love together every single morning. It's beautiful. But because she's reminded, she then gets to live into the reality of this new relationship that she has. Okay, we're like that. We need to be reminded again and again of who we are in Christ so that we can live according to this new relationship from which we are loved, blessed, chosen, adopted, and sealed. We need to be reminded every day of who we really are, that we are in Christ. We need to watch the videotape, so to speak, of our identity, our true identity at the start of every day. Mind you, who are you in Christ? I tell you, if you read Ephesians chapter one every single day this week, you would, you would live with a whole different, your circumstance might not change, but your inner world will definitely change. See, the truths have huge implications for how we live out our lives and how we see others and how we live in this world and our relationship with God and with each other. So we need to get these truths into our minds and pray these truths into our hearts. You know, we, we we need, when we don't believe them, we need to preach them to ourselves because we can so easily forget. Who we are in Christ is the sense of our being, and it redefines how we live every, every, every area of our lives. And so I ask you, who are you, and what is defining you? It's a big question. And for some of you, that question will bring to the surface some, some really difficult things in your past. I just want to encourage you, it's so worth it to lean into that, overcome that, and live as ones who are in Christ. Is it your past that's defining you? Have you are you like riddled with guilt and shame about mistakes that you've, made, you've maybe made? 
Are you fighting for significance or success so that the people around you think you've got what it takes? Are you wrestling with guilt or shame or trying to build up you know, stuff in your life, chasing the good life? The good life is found, friends, in Christ. So I wanna end with one last story. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna end time in worship and just kind of remembering again who we are in Christ. But I just wanna tell you one a beautiful story. You guys can come up. One day a small child, his name is Thomas Edison, you may have heard of him. He came home from school one day and he gave a letter to his mother and he said to her, mother, my teacher gave me this letter and told me to tell you that you are the only one to read it. So here it is, what does it say? So Thomas Edison's mom opens the letter and her eyes welled up with tears as she read the letter out loud to her child. She read this. Your son is a genius. The school is too small for him and doesn't have enough good teachers to train him. Please teach him yourself. So Thomas Edison's mother did exactly that for a number of years until she died. Years after uh, Edison's mother died, He became one of the greatest inventors in all of history. He invented the light bulb, film, uh, movie cameras, a type of car battery that was initially used in Ford motor vehicles. And at one point he had over a thousand patents on his inventions just in the US alone. One day he was going through all of her old things and he found a letter folded up and it was the letter from the teacher that he gave his mother, you know, when he was a child. So he opens it with excitement to read this letter again. Except the message written on the letter did not say what his mother had told him. The letter actually read this. Your son is mentally deficient. We cannot let him attend our school anymore. He is expelled. Edison understandably became emotional reading this letter and he later wrote in his diary, Thomas A. Edison was a mentally deficient child whose mother turned him into the genius of a century. Friends, it is amazing what the power of words can do to one's heart, soul, and living experience and practice. Words have the power to shape our lives. How we see ourselves and how we treat others and how we live into our future is largely dependent upon the narrative that we believe about ourselves. Imagine if Thomas Edison's mother had read the letter and read what it really said. Do you, and then actually treated him that way and he lived that way. Do you think we would have had the greatest inventor of all of human history come out of that family? The answer is of course not. Satan would love to give you a letter with all of your sins, with all of your failings, with all of your shortcomings, with all of your disqualifications, and with every single reason why you should amount to nothing. He would love to write your letter and tell you why God himself should reject you. And some of us, some of us know that letter all too well. And you've been living according to that letter. In Christ, we've been given a new letter. It's Ephesians chapter one and it's written by our Father in heaven, and it's a letter about a new identity in Christ. A letter of what Jesus has done for us and what that means for us now. It's Brian, Sarah, 
You are forgiven, redeemed, adopted, loved, blessed, chosen, and new in Christ. Michelle, you are forgiven, redeemed, adopted, loved, blessed, chosen, and made new in Christ. Every single one of you is forgiven, redeemed, adopted, loved, chosen, and new in Christ. This is the truest thing about us, friends. It's true for everyone who calls himself a Christian. So if you're a Christian, that's who you are. And if you're not a Christian, oh, there's an open door of invitation to come and let that be the identity from which you live. And all you have to do is surrender to Jesus as Lord. So as we begin to believe these truths of who we are in Christ, it changes everything about us and it shapes our futures. It's the gospel. It's the good news of Christ. So remember that who you are in Him defines you, gives you a new identity, and it's the truest thing about you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.